0: this week on up in the blue seats we talk more about the playoff bound rangers and also take a trip down memory lane in franchise history with the great stan Fischler. stan's former intern turned new york post sports writer molly walker joins the conversation to tell us more about the great stan all that and more next on up in the blue seats from the new york post
1: ladies and gentlemen Direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. Welcome to Up at the Blue Seats, a New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate the show five stars. Write a nice review if you're using Apple. New episodes are released on Wednesdays. Joining the show today is the Maven himself, the legend the great Stan Fischler. And we're also joined by his former intern-turned-New York Post sports writer, friend of the program, Molly Walker. Here he is, the star of the show, number 10, Ron Gay. Hi everyone. So a whole week's gone by and there really
0: hasn't been much in the news as far as a start date with the NHL. There hasn't been much said. I personally would love to know about what is it that the players are doing to prepare, what kind of training they're doing. And that's where we're going to be talking to Molly Walker, who has talked to JD, who JD had a press conference, and they're going to discuss some of that. And the other thing I've been intrigued with, probably in the last year or so, is the history of the New York Rangers. This past year, it's been 95 years. Since the founding of the New York Rangers and I've been a New York Ranger since 1977 and it hasn't been until the last two years that I really knew much about the history of the New York Rangers and so I thought well who can I talk to that would know a little bit about all this stuff and I well my good friend Stan Fissler, historian loves hockey So we're going to have Stan today, and we're going to talk about the founder, Tex Rickard. It's going to be 100 years of the founding of the New York Rangers in five years from now. And what I find funny is there are no plaques, no banners, no statue of the man. And he's the creator. So we'll discuss all that today on the show.
1: And you mentioned Molly Walker, Ron, a friend of the program. Remember, we had Molly and her mom on, who was a big fan of yours. And we surprised her with a phone call. You said number 10, and she knew immediately once you said number 10 but molly also fun fact was an intern of our guest today stan Fischler. and molly happens to be with us right now on the phone and molly um we'd love to hear i know with stan coming up you didn't get to share any real stories but we'd love to hear stories because i know you got your chock full of stories working uh with the the maven himself
2: <laughs> thank you guys so much for having me on and yes i have Tons of stories from my time interning under Stan. He is a walking encyclopedia of hockey facts. And I took advantage of that all during the times that I worked with him. But probably one of my favorite memories working for Stan is he took a liking to how quickly I was able to type. I used to do those typing games and such as a a child. So I've become a pretty fast typer. And uh, I was one of the only interns that was ever able to keep up with him as he spoke and just type out what he was saying. So he would sit with me knee to knee. And he would look at me straight on and just funnel all those things that he wanted to me to type for him. And it was like a philosopher was breathing his light and insight into me. It was uh, very rewarding. And I feel like I learned more grammar and sentence structure, just writing Stan's articles for him that I learned in any type of English class. And uh, I got to dust his Emmys for him and all that fun stuff. So I had a really great time interning for Stan. And we still keep in touch. He always makes sure to read all my articles, which I really appreciate. He's uh, he's a great friend and and an even better mentor.
0: So Molly, in the current news, I know you had the pleasure of uh, listening in to JD at a press conference. Talking about uh, the current situations, concerns, and talking about his players. What can you share with us? Because I'm particularly interested in knowing the communication between uh, the trainers and the players say in the last couple of weeks, what is it you think they're doing as far as their preparation, their physical preparation?
2: Sure. Well, JD said right off the bat that one of the things that happened immediately was the training, the training staff was in communication with all the players the, all the time. And, you know, they divided it up. You know, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure how many trainers they have, but they divided the team up amongst the trainers and each, one was on a daily basis talking to each player, me just learning about what they were doing to stay in shape, what access they had to rinks and facilities. And uh, JD was saying how, you know, in Sweden it's been much more open. So the players out there have been able to get access to the rinks and, and places that they need to work out. But um, they, sent, they said that they sent slide boards to each player. Um, I know Ryan Strom had a video of him working out with the slide board, So I'm assuming that's the ones that they sent. And they also said that they were holding yoga classes on zoom calls with trainers and stuff that the players can pop in and out and it's just it's a very you know difficult situation with how everything is with the shutdowns and stuff but JD said that the trainers have been very on top of each player and and passing along reports about what each of them are able to do so that when they do come together for the training camp or if it does happen you know they'll have a better understanding of who's been on the ice for as long as as they have and who needs to you know have a little bit more of extra time to get their feet under them i guess but i'll give jd a lot of credit his priorities are all in the right places his main concern is the health and safety of his players and he made that very apparent on the call
0: is there any issues with any players that you know of that they're concerned with
2: jd spoke heavily about you know capo caco is a type 1 diabetic and he has celiac disease and there are reports that If you contract the coronavirus, having diabetes can further complicate any type of symptoms that you have and can further put said person in danger. So we asked if, considering his medical history, if the medical professionals advised against playing caco, what the rangers would do, and he, without hesitation, said, you know, if his, if Kako's life and well-being is, is threatened, you know, they have no problem pulling him. They have no problem sitting him, and you know, he said that he is such a big part of what they have going for them, and and it's very true. So he said that, you know, they have talked about it extensively internally, um, and I believe that. So I think that whatever the medical professionals tell them what to do regarding Kako, um, they will follow that. He said specifically, we will listen.
0: Well, one last question, Molly. Um, with you having learned through Stan Fissler, everything that you've learned, and now you're in the middle of working, at, you're working for the New York Post, what is it about your job that you really enjoy doing?
2: I mean, everything. I mean, I I love my job. And I think Stan definitely instilled with me that, you know, creating personal relationships with players and really getting to understand them as people is probably one of the more rewarding parts of the job. And I know I couldn't agree more. You know, so many of the Islanders players have had babies over this quarantine. And and that's just been so exciting for me after, you know, developing relationships with the players throughout the season, hearing about them having children during such a terrible time it's definitely heartwarming to hear and you know that they're doing well and these players will never get as much time with their kids as they are right now so I think it's almost a blessing for some of these players right now to get this family time so I like to think of the positive side in that way and I think Stan definitely helped instill that in me during my time as an intern.
0: <laughs> well thank you Molly thank you for your insight
1: and uh, we'll have you on again yeah for sure thanks so much and now let's hear from Stan Fischler himself
0: My guest today is a hockey historian, as well as a hockey broadcaster, author, and professor, and has authored almost 100 books on sports, including a few on the New York subway system. Him and I have worked together for MSC TV, and that's where I really got to know him. My friend from Brooklyn, New York, the maven, Stan Fischler. Stan, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be
3: on with you, Ron.
0: Stan, you know, before we get started, it's your way of lighting things up by telling a joke. So, please, take me back to one we used to work together, where you would tell a nice, clean joke.
3: Well, my uh, current favorite is about Leo the MGM Lion. If you've gone to the movies, you know who Leo is. Starts off every movie. So, Leo the MGM Lion goes to a Hollywood shrink. Hollywood shrink says to Leo the MGM Lion, what is your problem? Leo the MGM Lion says, every time I roar, I have to sit through a three-hour movie. <laughs>
0: you know it you know it's funny when it's clean and it's just good it's just good fun jokes stan that just brings me back to fond memories where you and i worked together for msg and hockey night live and i have fond memories of of getting to know you that way that's where you really get to know the great stan Fischler. so stan i have to know you're in israel right now you're with your family what's life been like for you in israel these last few years
3: well, it's very exciting because unbeknownst to me, of course, I never could have planned it. I have three grandchildren: uh, fifteen uh, girl, fourteen boy, and the uh, little girl twelve. And they all play ice hockey, which is very hard to believe. Uh, there's a an Olympic-sized ice hockey rink about a 45-minute drive from us called the Canada Centre. And uh, before the uh, pandemic set in, uh, the kids were playing. Uh, they were on ice four times five. five times a week which is very hard to believe but uh they they love the game uh the boy is uh is working, working very very hard at his game the uh, my older granddaughter has just started modeling so i don't know whether she's going to play much more hockey but the uh, younger girl is extremely talented very intense and uh, i like to tell people who remember uh, she reminds me of a female ty domi uh, she just plays a very tough game you have to see it to believe her, actually and she's got the instinct she's uh you don't have to teach her too much right so uh, watching the three kids play hockey has been unbelievable
0: so stan i have to ask you i know this um as far as the hockey um development in israel apparently were you involved in bobby holik a former new york ranger going there and working with the national team
3: uh I actually was the one who phoned Bobby. Bobby's a very dear friend, right back to his days with Devils. And uh, Bobby got very interested in the program here, and he wound up coaching the Israeli national team uh, on their level, which I think was the sea level uh, They played the world championships in Mexico City, and the Israelis won the gold. Uh, he's also been a big inspiration uh, to my uh, grandson, well, actually, is the leading scorer now in uh, his division. So Bobby, Bobby got really into it good, and uh, he capped it off by getting a gold medal for the
0: guys. Wow, interesting, fun. You talk about him being a a good role model, good uh, someone to inspire to. I know that you've been like that for many interns who wanted to get into the business. And on the show today is Molly Walker Molly who has worked with you. what are your thoughts on Molly and how she's progressed? Well
3: the uh, uh, Molly has been uh, meteoric in terms of uh, interning for me it wasn't that very long ago in fact uh, pretty soon after, I, uh, you know, I moved to Israel, and uh, Molly was going to college. And uh, the next thing I know, she's, you know, she's here writing for the Post, and uh, and she's writing good stuff. Uh, Molly had one uh, major weakness, uh, and I don't mind telling you or telling her. Molly did not laugh loud enough at my jokes, and uh, I found that very disturbing. Very disturbing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Molly's with us now. So, Molly, welcome to the show.
2: <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I didn't know that that was my weakness, but now I know.
3: <laughs> no, that was only kidding. You know
2: that. Yeah, you know of course, that. of course. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Molly why don't you share with us what it was like for you to intern under the great maven uh, Stan Fistler
2: oh man it was quite the experience but one that I will definitely never forget um, I believe I started inter- interning for him it was the summer going into my sophomore year or junior year of college I would I connected with him through Alan Crada who is a, also a former Stan intern and he's also uh, the New York Times main hockey writer and uh, the first day I came into his office, you know, which was his his apartment. I was under the impression that I was you know being interviewed for the position you know that I hadn't gotten it yet, but little did I know when I first got there. I was put to work immediately <laughs> i uh, there was no interview, it was sit down you know, and it was I did work for him, and I guess after the fact he considered me useful and brought me back <laughs> and I worked for him, I think I did uh, one, one or two days a week, um, I'd go out to the city, and um, I did a bunch of things for him, uh, type his articles and do research and fact-checking for him, but just having a regular conversation with Dan, you learn more than you would ever imagine, and I'm so grateful for my time that I had with him.
3: She, she forgot one thing, she forgot that she had to go get me coffee in Danish.
2: Yeah, that I did. I did everything from type his articles to dust his bookshelves to get his bagel in the morning. And it was all worth it. I learned more than I ever have in any other internship, for sure. Stan has been so great to me. He reads almost every byline that I have in the post, and he always makes sure to reach out and let me know his critiques or his praises. Um, But I'm very curious to hear, Stan, what you think about the NHL's return-to-play format.
3: Well, I'll lead into that by saying uh, just before we went on, I read your piece on uh, Henrik Lundqvist and his desire to take another shot at being number one. As Mm -hmm. far as the format is concerned, the way I feel about the National Hockey League and the hierarchy, and uh, as well as the union, the Players Association, they've been very, very cooperative with each other, more so than I I ever remember, and I commend them both. This is a tremendous challenge that they have to get the season back on track, and I feel that the formula they came up with is more than adequate has been accepted by most, I think, two uh, teams demurred. one of them were Carolina. You took care of them. Molly's pretty good. Uh, she wrapped them and uh, she did a good job wrapping them. So <laughs> I say uh, full speed ahead now. Let's hope that uh, everything works out. So the answer to the question is I endorse it. I hate to get into uh, their business and tell them what to do because they got a, they got a, lot, of, uh, a lot of headaches Getting up to where they are now, and they've solved them so far. So I say, uh, good with they got, and let's hope we have hockey.
0: So, Stan, what what are your thoughts when you think about how this game is going to be played? Because we've never seen this before. Where teams, it's going to be like mini training camp, and then right into the playoffs, like going 100 miles an hour. What do you think we're going to see from these teams? Is it going to be predictable or unpredictable? It's
3: going to be totally unpredictable for the uh, reason that you stated. There's never been anything like this before. Like, uh, the only people have asked me, well, has there any, been any situation in uh, post, uh, let's say, since it became a six-team league. And the only comparison in terms of a crisis was in 1942, the United States is in the war now and uh, leaders in political leaders in Canada and the United States wanted to shut down the NHL and it came very close to being shut down because of the war and uh, uh, finally there was uh, enough lobbying done and hockey kept going but it was very difficult hockey, you take a team like the Rangers, they finished first in 1942 and they lost half their lineup to the armed forces a guy like uh, Beth Gwittling, he was 16 years old, 16 years old playing for the Boston Bruins in the NHL so you had, and I was going to So I can tell you what it was like. You had uh, a lot of guys who were 4 after. you had uh, young guys, you had old guys making comebacks. Uh, Two of the Leafs who won the Cup in 42, uh, they were about to retire. Sweeney Shriner, long car, they came back to play for the Maple Leafs. They won a Cup in 45. It was very, very strange hockey, but I'll tell you this, we all loved it we loved it it was it didn't matter who what, what the age of these guys were whether they were inexperienced it was just great to see hockey and the nhl survived the war matter of fact by 45 uh, 44 45 they were selling out all these games even though you had 16 year old guy like whittle and play and 17 year old harry lumley and go for the red wings but What we have now is extraordinary, never been before, and it's going to be some adventure, believe me. Hope it's going to happen, but it's going to be an adventure.
0: So, Stan, when you go back to the first time you watched hockey and you loved watching hockey till today, was there a time and period where you enjoyed watching the game more than you do at different times because of how the game was played or players or character? Was there a time you enjoyed more when you go back and look? Is it today or is it in the 50s, 60s? When is that?
3: Uh, You have to understand that I was watching three levels of hockey. Uh, I saw my first game. In 1939, I was seven years old, and the Ranger games started at 8.30 at night, so that was pretty late for me to get up early for school the next day. So my father would take me to the old garden on 8th Avenue. We'd see Sunday afternoon doubleheaders. There was a Met League game at 1.30, and the Rovers, the Ranger farm team, played at 3.30. I was marvelous hockey, marvelous hockey. And when we entered the war in '42. A team was formed of uh, NHL guys who enlisted at the U.S. Coast Guard and also uh, top minor pro guys. And uh, the Coast Guard team was uh, something you just can't believe. A wonderful bunch of guys. Johnny Mariucci was a legend in Minnesota. Uh, the Rangers' captain when they won a cup. Pulter was on that team. And the beauty part was that they'd come to the Garden and they bring their 30-piece marching band. So whenever the Coast Guard team scored, they would play Semper Paratus, which was the Coast Guard marching. So very exciting spectacle there. I can tell you about the uh, terrific games uh, going back to 42 and the we were down three games to zip in the final. And they won four straight. Never been done before or since in the final. And... Uh, yeah, when I, when I see the way expansion worked, we were laughing at the uh, expansion teams for the first three or four years. But then when the uh, uh, the Flyers came along and uh, won that first cup, some people thought it was a fluke. And then they come back and they win the second cup, no fluke. And then in uh, uh, their third shot, at it, they actually went to the final. So uh, seeing expansion work. Was uh, really exciting, and then you had the uh, you had the competition when the World Hockey Association came along, and uh, World Hockey was the reason why I got into television. I was doing uh, the uh, Wales uh, that was seventy three seventy four. My wife Shirley worked with me. with we the first uh, husband and wife team to work television hockey. Uh, that was exciting you know, with the new league. And, of course, the new league led to my uh, uh, getting into the NHL and, you know, doing the Islanders, Devils, and Rangers. To do, do all three, that was a kind of a neat broadcasting hat trick for me.
0: So Stan, I I guess I want to be a little more specific and talk about today's game because a lot of people are liking that there's very little fighting in the game. When you compare it to like the 70s with the Philadelphia Bullies uh, and how the game was played in the 70s and 80s, there was strong entertainment value because of a lot of fighting and the rivalries. So my question to you, do you prefer today's game with the speed and the skill less fighting or do you prefer what you saw in the 70s and 80s?
3: Now, I have an equation. It's a very simple one. Is it still exciting? And uh, what the league has done, it, it sacrificed the excitement of fighting. And they're still fighting, but it's certainly not the way it used to be. Uh, what I did not like were the stage fights. Uh, We—I we, remember there was one of those with the uh, well. Anytime Avery was uh, playing for the Rangers, you had a possibility of a fight. Uh, but. It was, when I started watching, fighting was part of the game. I, I thought it was terrific. Never uh, never objected to a legitimate fight. What's a legitimate fight? The referee doesn't see a foul. The other guy wants to get even. They start a fight. Stage fights I, uh, I thought that was a sad part of the game. And I'm glad they got rid of it. And the game now is so fast and so exciting. And there's so many nuances that you never had before. Like, you know, the replays. You see the thing on the message board. So, and of course, uh, uh, I'm a big fan of the shootout. I, I know a lot of people don't. I love the shootout. I love the way they constructed the uh, uh, the thing with the overtime and, and, and the shootout. So it's still a tremendous spectacle. And the bottom line is people come out, they kill the arenas. It's great. It's great. I, yeah, I'm, I'm as excited about the game as I was when I was a seven-year-old and wondering what these goalies were doing without a mask.
0: So, Stan, I have to ask you because you've had the great pleasure of being really up and close with the players over the years. You got to interview them. You got to interview Islanders, the great Brian Trottier, Clark Gillies, and on the Rangers side, Mark Messier, Adam Graves, uh, Wayne Gretzky. When you think about the ones that you got to interview, when I'm looking at the Rangers, who was your favorite guy to talk to and to interview when it came to the New York Rangers?
3: Hendrick uh, Henry uh, was my favorite because uh whether the uh, weather was bad and the team lost or whether the sun was out and the team won he was always available and a, a regular guy and eloquent and a goalie so yeah, he saw things clearly he saw them whole and he could articulate them now you know that's like asking me uh, you know whether you like a Porsche or a Ferrari Messier was phenomenal Another phenomenal. You know, we're talking about icon, but Messi was phenomenal in, in, in a different way. Graves. Another, Graves was about the nicest guy I've ever met in hockey. I mean, I could tell you one story about uh, uh, Graves, because I was doing uh, Devils at that time, and the Rangers had a practice. I remember Richie Pilon was on the team. Anyhow, we were waiting for the TV crew out on uh, 33rd Street, the players exit, and out come uh, the Rangers after the practice, and there's Richie Pilon. He waves hello to me, he in the Islanders, and one or two other guys, three, four. And how about the sixth guy who comes out is Adam Graves? sees me, doesn't wave to me. Comes all the way around the fence. Comes all the way over to me to give me uh, shake my hand and you know have a little schmooze. Uh, that's why Adam Graves is so uh, beloved and of course a pretty darn good hockey player. In fact, we were just talking about one of the uh, big goals, overtime playoff goals, was uh, Adam going around from behind the net around Scott Stevens. The out Muscle Stevens came around from left to right, and then stuffed it behind Marty Bourdough when won that series. So, uh, it's, uh, there are so many of them. I mean, you know, you talk about Islanders, uh, Danny Putman, wonderful one, Billy Smith. Billy Smith, most candid player I ever uh, interviewed in terms of telling it exactly what was on his mind. I mean, he told off all, all the Canadian fans when they uh, won the Cup when he won the Conn Smythe for their uh, fourth Cup. So, and, of course, tons of tons of wonderful guys in the devil. Uh, one of my all-time favorites is Jacques Lemaire. Jacques Lemaire, really. Talking about Bobby Halika the other day, I asked him, well, who's, your, who's the greatest coach you ever played? Who's your favorite coach? He said, Jacques Lemaire. And uh, after Jacques, he says, there's nobody after Jacques. Great smile. I, <laughs> We we were the first in the metropolitan area to do post-game interviews with the coach. And I remember the, uh, one of the games that Verdure was given a rest. I'm trying to remember who the backup goalie was. Anyhow, it was... Uh, Saturday night and the Devils won the shutout. In the post game, uh, I said you're going to come back with this guy because uh, they were playing again on Monday. And he said, "No, I'm going with Marty." I said, well, wait, "Wait, wait, wait, Jack. How can you? How can you defend the fact that you're going? You're not playing. your goalie, your second goalie. You just had a shutout. How do you beat a shutout?" I said, "How do you explain it?" He said, "I'll explain it in two words: Marty Brodow." <laughs> <laughs> the end of that. And of course, Marty went into Philly and uh, came up with a, a big win.
0: Before we go back to 1926, the year with the Rangers were founded by Tex Rickard. And, and I really want to get into Tex because I, I we just went through the 95th anniversary of the New York Rangers. And in five years, it's going to be 100 years. And so, uh, and I thought, who can I talk to about Tex Rickard? And I, well, of course, Stan Fisher. Before we go there, I need to ask you, and I will ask, I will try to stump you, by the way, with a question at the end of all this. But before we go that, one last question. If you had an opportunity to pick the two best hockey players of all time, with all the players that you've seen and witnessed, who would those two players be?
3: I'd go with the, the uh, two that I respected and uh, still be the most uh, Gordie Howe and Rocket Rashad. Uh, and, and they they played against each other for a long time, and there was always the argument who's better the Rocket or Gordie too. Totally different guy. The Rocket most explosive guy I ever saw. Amos uh, Francis, who was going for a while for the Blackhawks, said uh, the Rocket once scored a goal against him, carrying two guys on his back, not one. And uh, uh, Gordy Howe was, uh, to me, the best all-around player. He, he was the best scorer, the best passer. He was the toughest guy, he never lost a fight. Uh, and anybody who took him on uh, had to hope that he would live through that one. Louis Pantanato of the Rangers, can, uh, he, he he made that mistake. Gordy and Gordy did everything but play goal. Uh, but, you know, eras are different. The era of the 20s, hockey was a different game. The era leading into World War II, a different game. Then you go back. Post war uh, with the six teams, and you go into expansion. The game changed. Every every epoch uh, epoch uh, is different. So people now, you mentioned the game name Eddie Shore. Now, people don't know who you're talking about. Nobody saw Eddie Shore play, but they, he was considered the greatest player in uh, the 30s. Howie Morenz of the Canadians is considered the greatest player of the 20s. So every era had. Phenomenal players, right, right up to the present. So you can't, you 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 take a player today, you take uh, anybody uh, you want to take a star on any club, and you compare him to somebody on. The same team 40 years ago, not the same hockey. It's, 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 how do you compare a goalie who never wore a mask like a Glenn Hall or a Gump Wall compared with a Lundqvist who's making saves with his mask Unheard of. So it's, you know, the, the game changes. To me, I, I I often say you want to compare uh, Henrik Lundqvist, say, with uh, George Besson. It's like comparing Cadillacs with oranges. It, it's different different Uh, um, but the, the marvelous part of hockey is that the evolution of the game has continued on a scale of terrific excitement and that's what counts
0: you're a historian uh in sports hockey subway and when i think of myself going to the new york rangers in 1977 i knew very little of the history of the new york rangers I didn't know why the the name Ranger. I didn't know where it came from. It wasn't until two years ago that I was introduced to Tex Rickard because I was doing some work with the Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. And they made a mention to me, oh, by the way, you have a connection to this cemetery. I said, what's that? The uh, founder of the New York Ranger, Tex Rickard. And so for the last two years... I've been really interested. I've been kind of looking at his backstory and what an interesting man. What's more interesting, Stan, that there's no plaques, there's no banners, there's no statue of the man who brought New York Rangers to life. And so that's why I think I wanted to bring it to light today And talking to you about Tex Rickard. I'm not sure what the Rangers are going to do in five years from now, because it'll be the 100th anniversary. But I'm talking about it now. I'd love to know, what do you know about Tex Rickard?
3: Well, I know a lot about him. First of all, he, was, he, he redefined the term empresario. Came from Texas, which of course is why he got the nickname Tex. Uh, was very into boxing. In fact, when the third and the... Uh, what we now call Hill, Madison Square Garden on 8th Avenue was built. Hockey wasn't part of the plan. That's why the uh, side balcony, you had to sit in the first two seats if you want to see the whole ice. After that, it was blocked off a little bit. Uh, but it was designed for boxing and techs was most known as a boxing promoter in addition to the six-day bike race, which was a big, big deal uh, at the Garden. And uh, when he took over the helm at the Garden, uh, there was a team that preceded the Rangers by the year. a year, It was the New York Americans. And uh, Tex was intrigued by hockey. Uh, he had some friends pick him up to Montreal to see the Canadiens play and this is when Harry Morenz was the Babe Ruth of hockey coincidentally when Babe was at his best and uh Tex was dazzled by what he saw. And he already had the Americans there, but the Americans were playing, paying rent to the garden. They were not owned by the uh, garden. So Tex said, we got to get a hockey team. And that's when the NHL was expanding into Detroit, into Chicago, already were in, in, in Boston. And uh, so what the Tex did was uh, they got a franchise for the team. Now, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, Lester Patrick was the manager of the team, but you have to remember that the Americans were there a year ahead. They had a year to get all the fans. Rangers didn't know whether or not they were going to get any fans. So uh, the uh, they had a press agent named Johnny Bruno. He was a fight press agent. He worked for Tex, and Tex said, "Listen, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We, we want to get new fans, and there are a lot of Jewish people. I think we're going to light hockey. A lot of Italian people." And uh, Johnny Bruno says, "I'm going to uh, I'm going to make a Jewish." player for you, I'm going to make an Italian player. And he told that to Lester Patrick also. So you know how he made a Jewish player? They had a goalie named Laurent Chabot, he's a French-Canadian, and they changed his name to Laurent Chabotsky, so he became an instant Jewish goalie. And then they had a uh, Finnish-Canadian named Oliver Reinke, with two Ks, and they made him Ali Rocco, so he became... Uh, they're Italian, and the interesting thing about it is, if you look at box scores, for example, for that year 26-27, home games in goal not Chabot, it's Shabotsky and on defense it wasn't Ranka, it was racca, Of course, when they went up the counter, all the Canadian fans knew who these guys were, but it was a stunt, and <laughs> it, it worked for for quite a while. The other difference between the Rangers and the Americans was the Americans were owned by the biggest bootlegger in the East, Big Bill Dwyer, and uh, Dwyer was having parties all over the place. Uh, The Americans had a couple of Hall of Famers on their team, but they were so busy partying that they never really played up to their uh, abilities. The Rangers, uh, run by Lester Patrick, he was a disciplinarian. Uh, You couldn't get Away with very much with Lester. And uh, in the second year of the uh, Rangers' existence, they won the Stanley Cup, which is a phenomenal story in and of itself. So Tex Rickard was uh, the man behind it. When they were designing the Ranger uniform, the original idea was to have Texas Ranger which would be Tex Ricket on the front of the jersey riding a horse. didn't go over too well, never became it, but that was the original idea. After that, the uh, you know, they came up with a design that basically has been the same ever since.
0: So Stan, I have to ask you, if it was up to you, I mean, don't you uh, feel like there should be something to honor this man because he's the uh, founder of the New York Rangers? Something, possibly a statute of the man or something?
3: Absolutely. There's no question about it. I mean, uh, uh, on uh, Twitter, every so often, uh, there's a couple of guys who uh, keep insisting they should honor Frank Boucher. Frank Boucher was one of the greatest centers in the history of the game. He was uh, a ranger, uh, a lifetime ranger. He uh, played on the original team. As a player, he won two cups. He was the coach of the team, a rookie coach in 1940. Won the cup as a coach. Later became uh, the GM. He's the guy who started the process system that produced Andy Bathgate, Dean Prentice, Frank Brosley. These are all Boucher guy. There should be a way to honor them, and I think I think this will happen in uh, near uh, well maybe you know for the, uh, the the gigantic celebration.
0: Well, this is time to try to stump stamp Fischler. Are you ready? Yeah, all right well it's it's kind of related to what we've been talking about, honoring uh, Tex Rickard with a statue. There are two statues in front of two buildings in the NHL, two NHL teams. There are two men that are honored right now, today, with statues that are founders.
3: Founders of the team. Okay. Yes. Well, I have. I. I I'm going. I'm going to take a guess. Let's see the question. I'm going to take a guess, and but I think my guess is wrong. I'm going to guess that uh, in Toronto would be Conn Smythe, and uh, I don't know who it would be in Montreal. Uh, you you stump me. You stump me. Who is it?
0: Ed Snyder in Philadelphia. Okay. It's a goodie. And yeah, Ed Snyder in Philadelphia. And I because I'm sorry, I didn't it wasn't part of the original six teams. It could have been any team. So Ed Snyder. Oh, okay. And and the other is a former New York Ranger who founded an expansion who team. Good. Phil Esposito.
3: Very good. Very good. That was a that was a that was a good, very good question. Very good question. And uh, uh, <laughs> I wish I had <laughs> thought of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, Stan. Not many people stumped you, but I thought, you know what? I might get them on this one because it's no, all about.
3: That's, uh, that's, uh, that's what we <laughs> used to call a monument to memory. We call it Twister. And you know yeah. what? That question is so good. I'm going to give you a bonus joke.
0: OK, go for it.
3: This guy goes to a pet shop, he buys himself a goldfish and a goldfish bowl, takes it home, fills up the goldfish bowl with water, drops the goldfish in, the goldfish swims around, goes up to the glass, and he says, how do you
0: drive this thing? (laughs) Oh, Stan, you kill me. (laughs) You do have the best jokes, and that's I—that's one of the Thank things you. I remember the Thank most. You. Do you remember, Stan, when we worked together back at Madison Square Garden underneath the building? It was like working in a cave, right? And so uh, as that's funny right. as that was, I remember those days working with you. We had fun. We, had fun. we did have fun. Well, we're going to end it here, Stan. We can talk forever, and uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, it's always a pleasure with you, and we'll have to do it again sometimes. Be well, my friend. Well,
3: listen, thank you very much. And that was a fantastic question.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation.
0: That's a wrap for this week's edition of Up in the Blue Seats. Thanks to Jake Brown for producing the show. Catch up on all episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rondugaytap. Thanks for joining us, folks. We will chat with you all next week. Stay safe out there.